How you all doing? Great. Let's, uh, just Curtis is good? <laughs> How's everybody doing? Good. If you're not doing good, that's okay. Just respond, say something. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and uh, for the beginning of a new year. Um, we don't know what it holds for us. Only you know. But we leave it into your hands. The best thing that we could do, Lord, is to follow you day by day, moment by moment. Help us to do that as we begin uh, looking at the life of Jesus. Help us not just to, again, see this charismatic, enigmatic character, but uh, one who goes far beyond that. He is indeed our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. So we have before us 364 brand new beginnings, 364 days as we begin this new year, 364 chances in our life to grow or to shrink. Uh, If you're getting older, maybe you're shrinking. Um, But how how will you take advantage of that? What will be the top priorities on your list besides working at your jobs or going to your schools, providing for your families, getting getting them to their next activity, spending time with your friends, keeping up with the latest trends in fashion or music or entertainment? You know, every year we come up with the same list of hopes and dreams for the new year. Good health, good job where my boss isn't a jerk, Being able to spend money the way I want to spend money. If you're married and have a family, it's about getting your kids a good education. Tiger parents, not withheld. Um, In the right sports club or music organization. I know, I've been there before. But what if I were to tell you that the best investment you can make this year is to spend time with Jesus. That's it. That if you spend time with Jesus, most of those things will lose their power and control over you. You will discover a new kind of life, a new kind of way of looking at life. You know, it's not that those things will become unimportant, because they'll always be important. But they will gain a new perspective and significance in your life. You will see people and places and things, not just as ways to please yourself, but ways that God uses to draw you closer to him. So what are the important things to know about Jesus? Well, in the first three months of this new year, um, we will be traveling through the gospel according to Mark, also known as the Gospel of Mark or the Book of Mark. It's one of the four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, But there's some very important things to remember while we're taking this journey. The Gospel of Mark is not a biography, per se. Uh, It's not meant to chronicle every aspect of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. We don't find, for example, his genealogy like uh, we found, like we looked at it last week in the book of Matthew, and we don't find his birth account as is found in Matthew and Luke. 
The purpose of Mark is to point us to Jesus as the one who is the Savior. But to a largely non-Jewish audience, and to characterize his ministry as that of a suffering servant. As Jesus himself proclaimed when he said to his disciples in Mark 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In fact, the purpose of Mark's writing is clearly spelled out in verse 1, which Pat read to us this morning. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The purpose, then, is to demonstrate to the reader that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, but he is also the Son of God. That he is unlike any other human being that has ever lived or any human being that has ever lived since. He is, in fact, the only one in history with the power and authority to make a claim on our lives. I'm excited about, um, about studying Mark. Uh, it's one of, my favorite, um, one of my favorite books of the Bible. The reason is because um, it, it has so much um, power, it's so much emphasis on who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, so I'm excited about what, what, we're, what is before us in this first part of the year, and I hope you will be as well. But who is Mark, and why, sh- why would his writing about the life of Christ be included in the canon of Scripture? Well, it's widely held that Mark was a protege of the Apostle Peter. <coughs> he might have been a traveling companion of, the men- of many of Peter's travels in, the- in preaching the gospel. It's also thought that he might have been somewhat of a transcriber for Peter, writing down many of his sermons or taking notes of Peter's teaching. So while Mark's writings may not have been direct accounts from an eyewitness, it is thought that his words reflect the teaching of Peter himself, which is about as close to getting to the heart of the gospel as possible. Now this gospel is thought to have been written in about 65 A.D., And at first, it wasn't considered an important document at all. Why? Well, it's very brief, 16 chapters, and fast-moving. Like I said, it doesn't include Jesus' birth or any part of his genealogy, as both Matthew and Luke do. Um, At first, scholars thought the the Gospel of Matthew was written first. But as scholars began to study the three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they began to realize more and more that it was Matthew and Luke who may have copied some of the structure and descriptions that Mark used rather than the other way around. Mark's Gospel is fairly brief, and it moves very quickly. And one key word that is used very often is immediately or right away moves from one story to the next with the word immediately. We'll see that over and over again. So Mark moves swiftly from one event to another, hardly pausing along the way. And we will be moving quickly through this book as well, covering about one chapter per week until we end uh, with the resurrection on Easter Sunday. This will be somewhat of a whirlwind journey, so hold on to your hats, because here we go. Mark begins with 
continuing a direct connection with the Old Testament past. When he quotes both Isaiah and Malachi, two Old Testament prophets. And so we can follow the one whose authority was prophesied. We can follow the one whose authority was prophesied. We're going to be reading 45 verses from the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. So I'm not going to pause too long away to, to, uh, um, along the way to, to describe these things. We're going to just read them, and then I'll, I'll describe it a little bit. But here we go. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so came John, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins and were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, both thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's coming had had already been foretold by the angel to his parents, John and Elizabeth, that that John would be a forerunner for Christ. And here Mark describes his um, ministry. John's description is pretty wild, but it's also very typical of the prophets. Picture a cross between um, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Tarzan. And you have a picture of John. He has a bold message about repentance and baptism. And it was well received because the Israelites hadn't heard anything like this for 400 years or more. All the generations that had heard the prophets had long passed. Only the oral traditions passed down from one generation to the next remained. And here was a man proclaiming God's forgiveness of sin. But he was only a forerunner. He was only preparing the way for one greater than himself, one whom he said was, he was not even unworthy to untie his sandals. The authority of Jesus comes from thousands of years of Israel's history, history which all pointed to the coming Messiah. Jesus, in his lifetime, fulfilled over 300 prophecies about the Messiah. And in his birth alone, at least half a dozen are fulfilled. Part of Jesus' uh, authority came from his fulfillment of the prophecy. He was the one prophet of old that was foretold his coming. But it wasn't just that the prophets identified who the Messiah would be. Heaven spoke directly to the significance and stature of this young rabbi from Nazareth. And so we are to follow the authority, who's, the one whose authority came from heaven. We are to follow the one whose authority came from heaven. Verse 9 says, At the time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, 
and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descended on him as a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended to him. Here is the picture of Jesus' baptism. And as he rises out of the water, the voice of God the Father clearly identifies Jesus as his son. And the Spirit descends upon him like a dove. This is one of the few places that we have a picture of a triune God. God in three persons, three in one. And after his baptism, Jesus gets his first assignment. Go out into the wilderness for a time of testing and training. You know, if Jesus had to endure testing and training, why is it we think we don't have to? When something happens to us that throws us off track, why do we complain and whine so much? Why do we not listen to the Spirit of God, embrace the test, and grow in our faith? Mark chose not to detail the account of the testing. Those can be found in the other Gospels. And... um, You know, in the little um, scriptures that that are written out, there are actually cross-references to the other Gospels. So if you want to read more more details, go to the Matthew and Mark um, versions, and you'll see exactly how Jesus was tempted. But this was important. This was an, an important part of the beginning of his training. I imagine that um, perhaps George Lucas took a little bit of uh, this training of Jesus when he wrote the Star Wars trilogy and the training about the Jedi and and whatnot. Because there's a lot of of, uh, parallels between Star Wars and, and the Gospels. I don't know if you've ever realized that. But this was for real. Jesus was tested for real. Now I ask you, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Why do you think he needed to be baptized? You know, John was was preaching a baptism of repentance. And if Jesus was sinless, why did did Jesus need to be baptized? Uh, Well, Jesus answers himself, actually, in Matthew. He said that he must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. He wasn't only sent here to live a perfect life and to die on the cross and to forgive us of our sins. Um, he, had to, he had to live as every other human would have lived. So the reason why Jesus um, was baptized was simply to do everything else that is expected of other humans, to fulfill righteousness, so that he could say he lived a full human life and yet still did not sin. He experienced everything that we experienced, and yet he did not sin. So, verse 14 says, After John was put in prison, 
Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, or immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired man and followed him. This record, this records Jesus calling his first disciples. Now, this isn't typically how a rabbi-disciple relationship went. Usually, it was the disciple who came to interview with the teacher. It, if that disciple passed certain tests, then maybe they would be allowed into the teacher's school. Um, it, I think of it kind of like, I don't know, if for those of us with an Asian background and experience in the martial arts, um, you know, you, the, the teacher, the Sifu, doesn't recruit. You go to the teacher. And the teacher makes you, like, do these menial jobs, like sweep up the floor, and, until you prove yourself worthy to be part of his discipline part of his, um, his school. And then you begin that training. But Jesus doesn't do that here. Jesus, as he's walking along the, the road, along the seashore, sees these fishermen. And he says, he points to them, you, you, follow me. And he walks a little bit further. He says, you, you, follow me. Jesus handpicked his disciples. He didn't pick seminary-trained scholars to be part of his school of discipleship. He picked ordinary, hard-working, blue-collar men. First, Simon Peter and his son and his brother Andrew. And then James and his, his brother John, sons of Zebedee. The funny thing is when they called. When he called, they followed. Right away, immediately. Especially James and John. They left their father still working in the boat. Imagine. That must have been a funny sight. You're a successful businessman. Your two sons are working right alongside bes beside you. Suddenly, this wandering teacher comes by, calls out to your two sons, your top workers, you know, they're, they're, the, they're expected to take over the family business eventually. And they just drop their nets and leave. What authority must Jesus have had just by his presence, just by who he was? Now, perhaps they started to hear about this cheap teacher. Maybe they caught wind of his baptism. Maybe somebody from their own town or neighborhood possibly witnessed the dove descending upon Jesus and told them about this peculiar man. In any case, they were compelled by something to immediately follow him, to become fishers of men instead of fishermen. 
How do you explain that? Well, Jesus goes on and demonstrates his authority in much greater ways. And so Mark wants us to follow the one who demonstrated his authority with power. He demonstrated his authority with power. Verse 21, when they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one (coughs) who had authority. (coughs) Not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said, sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News uh, News about him spread quickly, over the whole region of Galilee. Now here Mark describes two of Jesus' primary ministry elements, teaching and casting out demons, in one story. The one, the bo- both events result in the same thing, amazement by the people witnessing the events. They were, they were amazed because he taught as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law had, Ouch. What Mark is saying is that Jesus' teaching had weight the other teachers didn't have. When the teachers taught the law, they would quote other rabbis and build their case based on the evidence from that teaching. When Jesus taught something, he didn't need to quote anything. In fact, many times he he would start his teaching with, you have heard it said, but I say... Jesus had that authority, and very few people questioned it. How could they when they knew that he was right? Even the demons recognized Jesus before the people recognized him. As soon as he finished teaching, a man who was possessed by a demon began to shout out, or the demon began to shout out, Are you here to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. But I don't think this demon was trying to testify in Jesus' behalf. On the contrary, it may be that the demon was trying to strike more terror into the people's hearts and make them fear Jesus. But Jesus would have none of it. With a word, he didn't even need to touch the man. Merely command. Jesus told the demon to leave. And of course... It had to obey. Because Jesus demonstrated his authority with power. Power in teaching and power over demons. And again, the result was amazement by the people. Verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. 
So he went to her, took her by the hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons and would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Once again, immediately as soon as they left the synagogue, they went to Peter and Andrew's home, which might have been nearby the synagogue. And Simon and Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. So Jesus went to her, took her by the hand, and helped her up, and her fever was gone. And she began waiting on them. Have you ever been sick in bed with a fever? I'm sure most of you probably have. It's pretty miserable, isn't it? I was, in, I was sick in bed with a fever from Monday to Wednesday this week. And uh, Priscilla, bless her heart, waited on me hand and foot. <laughs> For which I am ex- eternally grateful. I, I actually think she enjoyed ministering to me in this way. But you know, I know at least, that when, that when Priscilla is sick in bed, She hates it. She doesn't like to be waited on. And then the feeling that that she's getting behind in the different things that she needs to take care of. I have a feeling that Simon's mother-in-law was like that as well. As soon as she gets healed, she was so grateful that she began waiting on her, um, her guests like a good hostess would. Well, news must have spread fast because it says that by evening, people began to line up at the door with all kinds of illnesses and the demon-possessed. So many that it says like, it says, it seemed like the whole town was lined up at the door. Can you imagine that? Now, it says that he waited, they waited until sunset. Remember that this is the Sabbath. And Sabbath lasts from sunset to sunset. So that they waited because they knew that Jesus would not heal before Sabbath was over. But remember that Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law. In other words, he violated the Sabbath. But it's a clear teaching by Jesus that The Sabbath is meant for man, not man for the Sabbath. There's no legalism in Jesus' domain. He heals when it's the right time to heal. Can you imagine the whole town lined up at the door? But Jesus patiently and faithfully healed each each and every one of them. And when people are desperate and they need something, they will wait, won't they? You know, think about Black Friday or Christmas gift giveaways or the opening of Star Wars, The Force Awakens. You know that people will wait. A few years ago when I was in Cambodia on a short-term mission, we went to a remote farming village 
where I preached the message, and after the service, there was a group of women that wanted prayer. And so we began praying for them one by one. And one woman had a severely deformed back. She could not stand straight up and down. She was so severely deformed. She could only walk hunched over. And so we began praying for this woman and laying hands on her. And as we began to pray, she was asked to try to straighten her back. And little by little, slowly, slowly, she began to sit straight up. By the end of our prayer, she could sit straight up. And as she left, she hopped on the back of her grandson's moto, and they sped off down the dirt road. The authority of Jesus comes with power. And so it was with Jesus. He demonstrated his authority with great power. But Jesus was also fully human. And all this work and seeing so many people must have drained him. And now we come to a couple of quiet, small moments in the life of Christ. You know, in every great story, in every great movie, it's the quiet, it's the small moments that are the most telling, that are the most important, the most compelling. In this moment, we find that we should be following the one who sought silence and solitude. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. It was a long evening of healing, casting out demons, people lined up and clamoring to see him. Now, those of you who are doctors might relate to what Jesus was going through. He was spiritually drained. He needed to get away to find some silence and solitude. Will this new year include any silence and solitude with the Savior for you? Is prayer a regular part of your daily routine? Or does it only spring into action when there is a crisis or when you need something? Make it a part of your regular routine this new year. But we see that Simon and his companions are looking for Jesus. Why? They say, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Come. This is our, this is our opportunity. This is our chance to get your message out, to keep healing. We're going to be famous. But Jesus, in his enigmatic way, says, no thanks. Let's go find some place they haven't heard of me. So I can preach there, because that's why I've come. We see here Jesus explaining his ministry. He came primarily to preach, to proclaim 
The kingdom of God is here with you, in me. Jesus, not me. He has come to point people back to God, not primarily to heal them, not primarily to meet their needs, although that's part of it, and he's not shying away from it. But, you know, people in their natural state would rather be healed. They'd rather see a show. They'd rather make it about their, themselves and their needs instead of about God. So Jesus does exactly that. He goes to the nearby towns and villages and continues his ministry of preaching and casting out demons. And then we come to what I feel is the, probably the most important passage of this whole chapter, the one which encourages us to follow the one who is filled with compassion in action. Compassion in action. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a stern warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. If you're familiar with the disease of leprosy in the Bible, you'll understand that it's one of the worst diseases a person could get. There are many forms of skin diseases, which one, which is what we would find in uh, modern, which what we would call in modern service, uh, medicine, sorry, called leprosy. But one of these skin diseases the skin discolorations or diseases could make a person unfit to live in society. They couldn't even live with their families. And if they're walking on the street, they would have to call out unclean so that people would have to leave a wide path around them. And anyone who touched a leper could be deemed unclean themselves and would need to be examined by a priest uh, who would declare them clean or unclean. Now, here is a man who is stricken with this horrible disease, but he takes a chance, maybe it's his only chance, to come to Jesus, and he asks to be healed. Now, notice how he asks. He doesn't demand. He doesn't beg. Jesus, please heal me. I think he takes an even more humble attitude. He comes on his knees, and he says, if you're willing you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And what Mark tells us, it, what does Mark tell us is Jesus' reply? Being filled with compassion, Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. And he reached out his hand and touched the man. A big no-no. But immediately, here's that word again, immediately, the leprosy left him. And he warns the man to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest. He declared, 
he was declared to be declared clean, be restored to your place in society. Instead, the man immediately goes and tells everyone. Of course he does. He's been restored. It's a miracle. And Jesus, the compassionate one, is the reason. Jesus is compassion in action. He's willing to heal us as well. Whatever you face this year, Jesus is the first place that you must go. Make it a daily habit to include Jesus in your day. Here we are at the beginning of a brand new year. Each day, we will have a choice of whether to follow our usual thoughts, desires, patterns of behavior, or follow our Savior. I'd like to invite Ryan Lee to come up and share his testimony about a very unique um, experience that he's had. And he'll also share a song with us. Um, but I will let Brian, Ryan introduce himself. Right? Come on up. Hello. Um, thank you, Pastor Jerry, for letting me do this and bringing up Star Wars. Love that. Um, <clears throat> so, um, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I experienced God in a really great way, and uh, I just wanted to share it with you all, and uh, hopefully you'll find peace and comfort from it. Uh, this is something I posted on Facebook two weeks ago, so um, I just want to let you all, all know now that I'm, I'm going to get into it soon, but that I'm fine now, and everything's good. Um, so yeah, here we go. <clears throat> Uh, for the past couple of years, uh, I've had moments of extreme depression. I've been way too caught up in this world. I've been trying to find comfort and peace through worldly things. Friends, phone, girlfriend, TV, theater, improv, food, anything. And, and when those things failed me, I got really depressed. I would always be left unfulfilled. I would confide in others and still be left feeling alone. I would tell them my troubles and my fears and my worries, and they would be there for me, but it just wasn't enough. I wanted more, and I couldn't find it. Last night, I was lying in bed just thinking, and I was shaking too because all the worries and all of my struggles were pecking at me and wearing me down to my very core. Normally, when I feel this way, I just take out my phone and put on a playlist of really dark, depressing songs and cry myself to sleep. And I'd feel okay for the night, but... Dawn would come and the dark thoughts would return. But something changed last night. I was feeling the way I had felt a million times before. The stress was beating me down and I felt afraid and alone once again. But this time I heard a voice and it said, come to me. It was a familiar voice, one that I had heard before, but one that I hadn't really heard recently. And I just felt compelled to do something different. I got out my phone and I put on a playlist of Christian songs and I got out of bed, I stood up, and I rose my hands to the sky. After hearing only the chorus of the first song, I broke down and crying. I cried really hard, harder than I've ever cried in my life. But this was different than the other times. I wasn't sad crying. I wasn't crying and asking, why am I alive? Where am I supposed to go? Who am I? I was happy crying. And it was, it was strange, but... It was wonderful. 
And this time I wasn't asking, why am I alive? Where am I supposed to go? Who am I? I was overjoyed, and I was saying, I'm alive for Jesus. He will show me where to go, and I am a child of God. And it all made sense to me why I had felt so unfulfilled and dejected and alone all those other times. Because I was focused on this world when my attention needed to be on the one beyond this one. And I was focused on the people of this world and how they felt about me and what they thought of me when my attention needed to be on the only person whose opinions really matter. Jesus, my Lord and Savior. And I've always been Christian, but last night I think I truly became a follower of Jesus. And I'd like to share with you the chorus of that first song that made me break down. Uh, you probably heard of it. It's called Just Be Held. So when you're on your knees and answers seem so far away, you're not alone. Stop holding on and just be held. Your world's not falling apart. It's falling into place. I'm on the throne. Stop holding on and just be held. And then something incredible happened. I was no longer on the floor of my bedroom. I was no longer shaking on my knees with headphones in my ears, with my arms stretched out to the sky, and I was no longer crying. Everything around me was white. I looked around and I saw no windows or doors or even walls, just white. And I, I wasn't scared and I wasn't confused. And in front of me was a bunch of puzzle pieces all scattered about. And I picked up these puzzle pieces and I tried to form the puzzle. And I started to cry again because no matter how which way I put the pieces in or how many times I tried, I couldn't put it together. But I was mostly upset because I couldn't see what the picture was supposed to be. And I broke down again, and I cried. But I looked down, and I saw feet, beautiful feet, which is kind of funny to say, but seriously, these were beautiful feet. And I looked up, and I saw this really bright light. It was a man, and I couldn't see his face, but I could tell he was beautiful. And I immediately stopped crying. He picked up the puzzle, he picked up the pieces, and he formed the puzzle, just like that. And I just, I just watched him. And I cried again because the picture in the puzzle was a cross. And the man didn't tell me to stop crying. He didn't say anything, actually. He just picked me up and held me in his arms. And I literally felt like a newborn baby being held by its mother. I woke up the next morning, curled up in a ball on the floor. The playlist was still going, and I just smiled because it was dawn and the dark thoughts weren't returning. And this time I knew who to turn to if they did. I'm not writing this because I want to open your eyes or change your lives or any of that super serious stuff. I'm writing this simply to get this message across. Go to Jesus when you're struggling and he will give you rest. And I'm serious, he will really do this because people told me all the time that, that he would uh, just go to him and he would give me rest. But to be honest, I never really knew what they meant. I was like, give me rest? That's impossible. I can't rest. I have a test tomorrow. My friends hate me and I'm just swamped with responsibilities and... There's no way Jesus can just fix all of that and just make me rest, especially as a teenager. That's not something that's easy to believe. Well, he can. So I just wanted to share this with all of you who need rest and all of you who feel like you're running out of people to turn to because God will always be there for you. He loves you. Stop trying to solve the puzzle yourself. No matter which way you put the pieces in and know how many, no matter how many times you try, you won't solve it by yourself. Give him the puzzle pieces, and he'll solve it for you. Um, so I wrote a song 
based on this experience, and uh, I'd love to play it for you all today with the with the band. So. <laughs> 